but I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. The, the field of cancer research in Ireland in particular is just exploding right now. And I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunities. And I think your dissertation is going to be one that contributes to a lot of that. So you are primarily interested in the idea of cancer-related fatigue. And I think that's a term that gets thrown around quite a bit by academics and researchers and physicians without really given a clear explanation of what that is. So let's start with that. And can you just talk about what cancer-related fatigue is? A key thing about cancer-related fatigue is it is different from tiredness in that it's not relieved by sleep or rest. Um, it's also kind of multidimensional as well. So it can be, it can affect people in so many different ways. It can be physical uh, fatigue, cognitive, uh, cognitive uh, fatigue and emotional fatigue as well. Um, and believe it or not, fatigue is actually often reported as being worse than the pain and nausea and vomiting that's experienced by um, cancer survivors and actually has one of the greatest negative impacts on activities of, da of daily living as well. And the sad thing as well is, aside from being the most debilitating side effect of cancer and its, its treatment, is it's persistent and it actually persists for many years following um, patients' uh, treatment for cancer. I tell you, you have that answer down. You have about 10 minutes of questions answered in 30 seconds. <laughs> so let's let's do this. I want to backtrack a little bit because I think when when people are going into treatment and even trainers or, or health professionals who are looking to work with this population, I don't think they realize the magnitude of fatigue that can be experienced. And as you said, it really is, you know, tenfold and beyond above what regular tiredness feels like we all know what it feels like to to get two or three hours of sleep for a couple of nights and you feel drained but then you take you take a nap or you get caught up on sleep over the weekend and you feel great again whereas cancer-related fatigue is that it, it 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 can be this chronic um really powerful fatigue and in, in that you 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 feel like you can't get out of bed. You feel like you can't do your regular activities like doing your washing or going to the shops or anything like that. And I think yeah. by understanding what you're about to go through in terms of cancer-related fatigue and trainers understanding what cancer patients and survivors may experience, it can help us then work with how we prescribe our exercise around that as well. So I think that's an important thing. Can you touch on... Um, what sort of daily fluctuations in fatigue? Is it, I always feel tired all the time? Is it in response to the dose of treatment? Yeah, that's the other thing. This is something that I really began began to notice throughout the study. Um, everybody is experiencing fatigue in a different way as well. So everybody, maybe that is, again is down to each person's treatment as different each person's cancer is different and um, how they deal with their cancer is maybe different they're coping so um each person's cancer related fatigue is not necessarily the same it doesn't necessarily happen that they're better in the morning or they're better in the evening it does seem seem that they 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 report and and looking through the research that the the fatigue is probably better in uh, earlier in the morning and then seems to get worse as the day goes on but that's not necessarily the case across the board you know so people do experience it differently and again causes if you were to look at causes for the for the cancer related fatigue again they're they're wide and varied again as i said it's the cancer itself the treatment side effects psychological factors as well such as anxiety and 
depression, um, sleep difficulties, pain, and maybe even things like malnutrition seem to be like causes uh, of it. But again, everybody experiences the cancer-related fatigue differently as well. And I suppose that's one thing as well that it was speaking to the participants in the study what they did say is um, they don't seem to have that information they don't seem to be really prepared for that um, I even asked the question have you ever received any information or you know management or treatment strategies and the vast majority of them had said no um, and most certainly none of them were ever um, prescribed exercise for their cancer related fatigue yeah, and I think that seems to be a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, obviously, my, a lot of my training has been in the States, but I've I've spoken to and worked with folks in Australia and Canada and England and even across Europe. And, and the standard, I wouldn't say complaint, but but the concern of us as researchers is, is we know how powerful exercise can be. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me recently, I'd say in the last two or three years, is is we used to be really frustrated and saying, why aren't physicians prescribing this? Why aren't they telling people of the power of exercise? And I think recently we've started to understand that that may not be their role. They don't have time to sit down yeah. and give a one-hour consultation on exercise and nutrition. They don't have the training that we do in the power of exercise oncology. So maybe it's less about your primary care physician should be giving you this and more about your primary care physician should be having his consults with your primary cancer treatments and then sending you down the hall to an exercise physiologist or an exercise oncologist who then they with that expertise can kind of come together and be a part of that team of of primary care uh you know medicine team that can help complement treatment with exercise absolutely and i think there is such an opportunity for collaboration there between the likes of um the health professional who are dealing with people with cancer and the likes of ourselves who will be exercise specialists especially in in oncology Um, because as you say we're going to see a huge not only an increase in diagnosis and not only an increase in um, but we're going to see an increase as well in survivorship we're going to see a lot more um, people surviving cancer so therefore um, you know we need to look after these people we need to have a system in place that looks after these people and looks after their side effects for cancer-related fatigue um, as well because some of the stats out there for breast cancer and I'm looking at five to ten years post-treatment which is a long time about 24% of breast cancers have still reported experiencing cancer-related fatigue five to ten years post-treatment but a lot of this as well we have to remember that cancer-related fatigue is underdiagnosed and it's undertreated. So those figures are actually probably a lot higher as well. So I really think that, you know, it's it's essential that we have got that, not alone the service for, for cancer survivors, but that we, like you said, that we can actually give this information and and, and supply um, people with the knowledge and skills to, to look after these at this cohort also. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'll go on to talk about I, I really want to address the the state of of the exercise oncology field in Ireland as a whole, but let's backtrack back to uh, cancer related fatigue, and we'll chat about mm-hmm. your study. But another thing you mentioned, and I want to highlight, is the idea of different dimensions of fatigue. In mm-hmm. cancer related fatigue, isn't just I feel tired and I feel drained. Um, mm-hmm. There is that dimension of emotional fatigue or cognitive fatigue where you have this kind of fogginess and, you know, the chemo brain kind of stuff. And then you've got physical fatigue where you do your your body and your bones and, and your muscles and joints all ache. And yeah. which dimension you feel and the magnitude of which you feel those dimensions will differ completely based on the treatment you have, based on the cancer type you have, based on the dose of treatment, how far into your treatment you have. And I think, uh, can you touch on a little bit of how that fluctuates, not only during treatment in relation to, say, you get a dose of chemo on a Monday, but then across chemo and then beyond as you move into survivorship, how does that pattern of fatigue differ? I think what happens is, especially because I'm genuinely only dealing with post-treatment, and um, that was one of the the inclusion criteria that we, we, we have in our studies, so it is specifically just post-treatment and that's who I deal with. I think what what is, I think what happens is because, right, they have gone 
from being a cancer patient to a cancer survivor. So when they they think that they are meant to, they can't understand even when people meet them shall we say you're looking great you you know you your your hair is back yeah. you're looking fantastic but that's not how they're feeling inside and this is what has uh, really surprised me is you know how you know their own family their own social support is saying but how are you tired all of the time how can you be tired all of the time um and what was interesting as well about our study is i actually involved body systems and, and again that was more of a like a social support and more you know to help with motivation to exercise but it actually um what was really interesting was some of the bodies were family members and it's only from them coming to the exercise classes that they realized that fatigue isn't just tiredness you know so that was really really interesting that they them they, they're even their own social support that's that, that they actually you know realize that this is a condition this isn't just tiredness for even diagnosing I, we specific the the uh, measurement tool that we use was the fact f and the questions even on that when the participants were filling them out they were like oh my god did you actually devise this questionnaire specifically for us and um, because they were so specific things like listless washed out um others finding it difficult you know to um finish things and even things like you know having to put their own you know not being able to maybe be as socially active as they as they want to be as well and they have to cut that short so that even element of cancer related fatigue causing things like isolation and loneliness as well you know it's it's amazing it's amazing how much this can actually affect people in so many different ways where um the, even participants as well they said which is amazing that when they were during their treatment they had a pack they knew that they had to be at their appointments on X, you know, X, Y, and Z days. Um, um, whereas when they went from that to being a survivor, there wasn't that pack. They didn't have that information. They didn't know how to deal with these side effects and things like that. Now, there are some super services in place in Waterford, such as the Solace Cancer Support uh, Centre, who do help with things as well, such, you know, looking at things such as art therapy and counselling. But again, the cancer survivors don't have an actual pack to prepare them for things such as cancer-related fatigue. Yeah, I think that's, again, another common issue across the board and across people I talk to from different countries is that when you're going through treatment, you've got this team of people that are dedicated to you and we will do whatever we can to optimize your treatment and make sure you have all your schedule, your your medicine and all that stuff. And then the day comes where they say, okay, you're quote unquote cancer free or you're done with treatment. Good mm-hmm. luck. And you're just kind of released back out into the world. And, and for however many months or even years, in some cases, you've had that support system in X amount of physicians and medicine staff there that just disappear. And yeah. arguably, that's probably the most important time where you need some sort of support staff when you're going from that treatment into recovery and how to people just feel lost and trying to re- regain some sort of normalcy in their life. You've actually hit the word, um, the nail in the head there. It, the word lost, that came up so many times. Lost, lost in transition from patient to survivor. There was one participant actually summed it up, how they felt like, like they were in a boat in the middle of the ocean, sat in that boat on their own with nothing around them. And that's that's what they said. They actually felt like they were, were drifting in a boat in the middle of the sea and they had lost everything around them you know so again isolated even you know all of those little words that that actually cropped up which is which is it's, it's sad because they actually overcome the cancer itself um but i mean look the good thing is that things like exercise and the results that we have from our from our um study are very promising so at least we can start working on things like collaboration and getting people you know the treatment and things like that to manage it now yeah and i think you 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 said something really powerful there in terms of family members as social support because i think too often we have our family members who go off to their treatment and we see them as they leave and they see them as they come back and as you said you know they get done with treatment and they start to look better they regain their hair Mm -hmm. you know maybe you start to regain some of their lifestyle activities and 
it's it's very difficult for family members and friends when you know you break your leg you're in a cast for eight months and you get you know you're out of cast you're back good to go something like chemo brain or cancer related fatigue or you know even long term say cardiotoxicity from treatment aren't visible and so the the frustration from the survivor's perspective when when they still feel relatively sick and they have their closest family members and friends saying well you look great why aren't you back doing all the things you know you used to do and the power of of those family members and friends coming to an intervention or you know the hospital or whatever it is to see other patients survivors going through the same thing it takes i think it really takes that sort of of mission to to make that click in allowing them to see it's not just jane who's going you know she's not just kind of pulling the wall over her eyes there's hundreds and thousands of people experiencing the same symptoms and i think that visual then helps to reinforce that there are these long-term effects that can't be seen absolutely no definitely um it's something that like at the end of the day some of these people are so debilitated by cancer-related fatigue they can't do things like return to work so we have to look at the financial impact that something like this has on people as well they are so tired that they can't physically return to work um, and that's probably one of the nice little success stories that we had with our study that we had three participants that actually did return to full-time work which which was good because you know then that they're, that financially that get they're getting back into a more secure places also okay so i think we've we've set up the study nicely we've kind of given an overview of, of cancer related fatigue so tell us about your study what it is why you were looking to do it and what you were looking at okay so i guess why i looked at doing it is i have a huge passion at improving people's quality of life i would have done my undergrad um on an initiative known as the men's sheds um here in ireland uh, and I looked at how they can improve men's health. Um, so then I thought to myself, okay, can I do more? And when the PhD opportunity came up for looking at exercise and cancer-related fatigue, I thought to myself, this is something that I'd really be passionate about. Um, so our study, what it looks at is um, we're looking, we look to recruit uh, post-treatment cancer survivors with documented fatigue. And I think that that was important because an awful lot of the studies out there to date, whilst the report results on exercise and fatigue the inclusion criteria didn't necessarily look for uh, fatigued participants so our study um, recruited fatigued individuals so what I ours is a quasi experimental study so what I looked at then um, I thought to myself right if I was to look at exercise I need to be able to compare it to something else I need to be able to compare it not just to a controlled um, not being able you know because an awful lot of the studies out there just use usual will care um, and I wanted to look at other strategies that have been used to target cancer related fatigue so an awful lot of the strategies that other strategies other than exercise are things like food and nutrition cognitive behaviour therapy and sleep management and the likes so I decided then that I would develop a health education program um, so what I did was I developed a 10-week uh, health ed program and that had three units so it had the cognitive behaviour therapy the food and nutrition and sleep um sleep hygiene so the interventions the exercise intervention is 10-week program as is the health education program um so the exercisers met twice a week for one hour for the first five weeks and what we did then was we reduced it down to once a week because we wanted to you know develop their self-efficacy and at the end of the day we wanted this to be sustainable so we needed to empower them and let them take ownership themselves provide them with the skills, provide them with a little bit of exercise self-efficacy so it would be sustained and maintained once they finished up the 10-week intervention. Um, the uh, health ed then, they still had the same, they had one hour per week and we looked at, and that was again for 10 weeks, but the um, they still had the same you know, contact with me. If I was to send a text to the exercisers, I would send it to the health ed. So they all had the same support for me. Um, and as I said, we had a body system as well because as you know as I said you know things might be you know um, hard for people um, so uh, we had a little body system and that was in place for both interventions also so again we looked to compare not only fatigue we looked at some secondary outcomes as well so we, re- we ran some physical fitness tests we did 
did a six minute walk test we did the sit and reach test for flexibility sit to stand test which uh, looks at your leg power we did um hand strength as as well and um, we looked also at things like fear of physical activity and we had a big questionnaire as well looking at um quality of life um again things like um cognitive functioning uh, sleep hygiene um and we also then took blood samples and saliva samples as well because if we were to see there an effect of one over the other uh, or just say it was exercise over health health education we wanted to see was it like a biological mechanism that exercise had on the cancer related fatigue compared to the health education so we looked at inflammatory markers in blood and saliva as well so we have um we had a huge amount of data that we gathered as well um and we actually allowed out then for the health education they were offered the exercise arm at the end of it as well if they wished um to to, to avail of the exercise also so that is sort of our study in a nutshell um, and we've had some really promising results so again i suppose unlike the majority of studies the specific focus on errors was um, on fatigue um, and what we will include as well as a process of evaluation and that'll be more like an, an evaluation um, using act, action research and translational research as well and can you uh, can you elaborate on any of the positive findings or are you waiting to have those findings published before you no i actually would you believe hold on i actually have um some really good data here so just i'm going to open it up here now because i literally finished all analysis today um did I facilitate that by scheduling our, our podcast today? <laughs> no, you. I'd like to take some credit. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll allow you that. So go on, I'll, right. I'll allow you. I will. <laughs> sure, you might as well stick me on the manuscript of this page. Oh, oh no, not, not a bother, not a bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like what we looked at was. So just so you know that in the exercise intervention, we had 19 participants and in the health education group, we had 18. And we looked at the comparative effect, then the comparative effects of an exercise intervention on your cancer related fatigue, quality of life, functional fitness. Um, and for fatigue, we saw um, a significant statistical significant um, within group um results for fatigue now we did see um a significant group by time interaction for fatigue but also for, for uh your six minute walk test your sit and reach your sit to stand also for your moderate to vigorous physical activity there was something that really um i was interested in as well um and i started to think to myself like when they become when when they've gone from patient to survivor, one would expect that perhaps once they would take their, you know, take their life into their hands again and start to exercise and start looking at increasing physical activity. Um, but in fact, it seems that physical activity and exercise actually decreases once they once they have finished treatment. So I started to look into things and I started to see that maybe there was a fear and it, and it actually was true because an awful lot of the participants in my study they were afraid to exercise in case they did more harm than good they didn't know the exercise prescription they didn't know whether they do more harm than good so that was what was really really interesting so i looked at them there's a questionnaire developed it's a fear of physical activity and this was among the breast cancer um only because the questionnaire itself is developed only for um for breast cancer patients and we actually did see a significant group by time interaction for fear physical activity also so again i suppose what you could say is the, re the results represent a significant con um, contribution to knowledge because they attribute any between group changes on fatigue and physical fitness etc to exercise per se rather than to a peer group or and investigator in, in attention shall we say you know so what is it about exercise <laughs> what is it as you know they, i mean all of them would have got the same support all of them would have got the same amount of my time so what is it about the exercise over the health and that's what i suppose hopefully our bloods and cortisol may answer when you're talking about exercise can you elaborate a little bit on you know for both 
trainers interested in working with this population or you know cancer patients survivors themselves what did that look like yeah like what we did at first um it was interesting as well like none none zero of the participants had participated in any moderate to vigorous physical activity when they came to me so there were no um nobody participating in any sort of moderate to physical um vigorous physical activity and if i i was trying to have the effect on the um on the fatigue i was kind conscious to have it in that in that area so the first session itself what we did in the exercise group is i suppose it was more of an educational um session so i literally taught them how to measure intensity how to take their heart rate all of that sort of thing because um again like that uh, you know you're not wanting to um they already have fear of physical activity so you're wanting it to be uh you know as and develop their self-efficacy because an awful lot of these people's self-confidence and everything is shattered um so you're you know you're trying to train them and they they became adapted to this so so well um i also supplied them all with pedometers and we track their physical activity and, and most of the if i'm honest most of the sessions that we we did did were aerobic style so um if the weather was fine we were out and we were walking we had the heart rate monitors with us um we started off when we did the six minute walk test i mean people uh, you know are, are they weren't really at the, at the onset you know they, they 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 were struggling for those six minutes so, so our first session that we did i mean people found it difficult to walk for two minutes at moderate to vigorous intensity and moderate is where we kept it so uh, you know two minutes was difficult for them i had actually got one girl in particular who was a marathon runner prior to being diagnosed and thought she had nothing to do then only one she got the all clear was to go back and training for her you know marathons and going back and uh, her body allowed her her body allowed her to run maybe 10 miles but she wasn't able to do anything for the weaker weaker 10 days after that because she was so fatigued so what what really highlighted it to her, her was that making these people know what moderate intensity feels like showing them things like how to do a talk test showing them that it is okay for their heart rate you know to be their, their heart to be pumping and 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 highlighting what what their heart rate should be they felt safer um but so that really highlighted to her that how did she think she was going to be able to run 10 miles if she was actually struggling with um doing two minutes at a moderate intensity so yeah it, it threw up some really interesting things um another lady who again struggled on our first session for doing for doing a two minute uh, you know moderate walk um stuck at the program we progressed and, and that's the key thing it has to be progressed for me i think anyhow it has to be cr- progressed incrementally you know and and i'm following the um acsm guidelines you know that it is only increased maybe by two minutes every week and that's what we stuck at until we had them up to about the in around the 30 minutes moderate um moderate intensity um aerobic kind of threshold so yeah we we stuck at that but that lady actually in particular who struggled with the two minutes stuck at the program did everything right and walked the dublin city marathon one year later and the, and i think the key thing as well is things didn't have to be difficult nothing was difficult anything that we did if it was a rainy like so we were out and about doing our walk and everything um say um and if it was raining i took things inside but what i did was we built circuits but i built them in a way that anything that we did at class they could do at home also so i was trying to all the time you know when i'd say that to them you know on a rainy day just because it's raining outside doesn't mean that you can't exercise doesn't mean that you can't get your little bit of physical activity done because anything we can do here you'll be able to do at home on a rainy day as well you know and teaching them things because you know it it it, it it empowers them then you know and and they know how to exercise correctly um and and in a safe manner you know yeah um i'd like to go back to touch on that marathoner you spoke about because it's a really important point in when we think about cancer survivors and and patients oftentimes we think of older deconditioned maybe overweight inactive and 
it's not necessarily representative of all cancer patient survivors and as frustrating as it can be for someone who is inactive to try and start an exercise program it can be equally if not more frustrating for someone who has an active lifestyle and is really fit and then can't do the things that they they love to do that that feeds them and and gives them that quality of life and so when you're yeah. talking about that marathoner who struggled with with uh, going out to do her her 10 mile training of all the the active people I've interviewed and and worked with that's the source of biggest frustration in they may not be experiencing cancer related fatigue but their tolerance to exercise drops way down so they feel good they feel like you know the the chemo or treatment isn't affecting them as much so they're saying you know i just want to go out and do it and and that feeling of of feeling like you're okay but just not being able to do it is an incredible source of frustration that um i think can be addressed because your 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 tolerance will go down and the the biggest shift in mindset i try to to give to people during treatment is this idea that just maintaining your activity level is an achievement maintaining fitness is an achievement it's it's very rare that you'll see these dramatic improvements in fitness but if you can just keep those habits there is a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of there will get to a point where you can start to resume those activities that you'd love to do and i think it's it's an important point to to highlight for those fitter patients or survivors absolutely absolutely and actually it's funny because that we had a little good news story about that um, participant also. Um, she had so she would have started in the September. So this the the ten weeks would have been up. It was maybe end of September October. So the study would have been up just coming up to close to Christmas time, early December. So she had a ski holiday booked, not thinking for one second that um, and had no ski pack <laughs> booked or anything like that because she didn't genuinely think she'd have had the energy to ski. And it turns out. She, she actually went over there and skied for the solid week because her fatigue levels had increased so much. So, I mean, there you go again. It's the good news story of the fatigue. Yes, that's all super. But being able to participate with her family in something like a family holiday, I think, is is just as important as well. Yeah, it's incredible to hear. Um, I'd like to I'd like to highlight a couple of pieces about your study that I really, really like. Um Firstly, I think your summary does the results an injustice in terms of the intervention was only 10 weeks and you saw incredible results in improvements in fatigue and physical function and psychosocial outcomes. And just like 10 weeks is, is a very short amount of time considering... The first week is maybe education and getting them in, into things and the last week is maybe a closeout and a post-assessment the the power of of such a short space of time to improve all those kind of uh, symptoms and outcomes is is really incredible stuff and the other piece i like about it is we're starting to see this now more and more is the idea of starting to kind of titrate ourselves away from participants throughout the course of the intervention and this goes to any trainer fitness professional sports medicine staff whatever it is whether or not it's cancer anyone can go through you come to me and you you show up at a gym for two times a week for 10 12 16 weeks you will see improvements but i'm less concerned about the improvements you make immediately after that intervention i'm more concerned about can you maintain those improvements six months a year two years down the line and i think whoever you're working with it's it's too easy for you to have someone come into the gym and you pick their weights and you pick their sets and their reps and you progress them or you tell them how long and how hard to work out on a treadmill but the value in slowly shifting that responsibility to them to improve their autonomy to improve their independence teach them how to program their own exercise that's the stuff that leads to long-term maintenance of these improvements and and can you get some behavior change in there where you teach them problem solving in terms of barriers and self-monitoring and and appropriate goal setting all that is such a vital uh, and integral part of these programs that i think um it's something that i really enjoyed about your study and i think that's that's the model that we're starting to to really move towards in this area 
Yeah, definitely. And like, I suppose as well, um, like we would have had a huge amount. It was. I mean, it was definitely grounded hugely. I had a huge theoretical background to it as well. And I looked at things like, uh, you know, things like self-determination determination and um, motivation all of those things and they were all key the way i looked at it was if i didn't develop these people's exercise self-efficacy they were not going to exercise so not only did we have to develop their self-efficacy we had to try and maintain that as well and you know you do need to hand over the ownership as well um and you know they were a little bit skeptical about it at the end of the day but i think as well what what, what is needed is contact these these individuals love contact they love you know you know they need to be um you know reinforcements need to be put in place you need to track their progress on a day where they might might say to themselves i can't you have to you know ground them again and and you know and just say okay maybe you're thinking that you can't but let's Let's do things together and see how you go. And nine times out of 10, they were able to do it. There was one example where, okay, we may not have increased the intensity with time, but I'd often incorporate a hill um, in the walk. And we were at the end of the hill and it was a case of, I can't get up that hill. And I thought to myself, well, let's just chat. And, you know, and this person had mentioned how they had actually become almost like a recluse after their cancer treatment and had locked themselves away in their room um, and had missed seasons. So they had missed seasons. And the same day in Ireland this this year, we had a a fantastic fall. It was absolutely amazing. So we walked up that hill in the leaves and we were at the top of the hill. And I said, thought you told me you couldn't get up that hill. I said, how did you get up that hill? And that participant turned around to me and said, you know something, it was the crunching of the leaves under my, my feet. I forgot how much you know, how, how, how in love I was with autumn. So, I mean, it wasn't a case, yes, she, she would, she, that person thought she couldn't do it, but just doing something as simple as that, you know, and almost having them, trying to have them in, in, in a flow mindset and having them at one with, with what they're exercising with as well. They're exercising and they don't even realise it, you know, that sort of thing I thought was important as well to get them to, to, get them to where they, we needed to get them. So you are now looking to roll this program out or at least emulate it as a public service is that right yeah well what what it is is i was very lucky to shadow in dcu under the medex move on program um and i fell in love with the program there so i really wanted to um try and see could we um you know adopt that and translate it in to Waterford. So they're hoping to translate that um, into institutions in Ireland. Um, and we have been one of the lucky ones that have been able to roll out the move, uh, the move, um, the MedEx Move On program with, with the hope of moving um, with their other programs as well, um, Smart Art and things like that as well. Um, so, yes, we have the MedEx up and running in Waterford Institute of Technology here at our new sporting facility, um, the, the Wit Arena. Um, and that group are actually just coming to the end of the first 10 weeks and are actually hoping to stay going so that's all good so things are obviously working as well there so that 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 service that service is available to people here um in the southeast um and the program itself is 90 euro for 10 weeks um not only do they get access to the exercise specific classes with a person who is um you know, well up on exercise uh, oncology. Um, But they also have full access to the facility um, and other classes. Because what I noticed as well is how immobile these people have become. And that's probably their mobility is no no doubt has been affected from maybe their surgery and things like that. Um, So we worked on flexibility and we worked on mobility quite a bit towards, you know, the, the, the end of the sessions they really liked to relax and stretch and to see you know their their mobility and flexibility improve was was fantastic so a lot of participants in the medics then do the 
yoga and the Pilates classes, which are also included in the price. It includes their uh, parking and also a cup of tea and a coffee, because let me tell you, <laughs> that was a huge benefit. You'll be surprised how much information and how much how much knowledge you can gain over a cup of coffee after an exercise session. I thought to me, that's where I gained a huge amount of my knowledge as well. <laughs> I, I wet myself laugh when I saw that. Only in Ireland would you have <laughs> built into a research protocol tea and coffee and a chat. A cup of tea and coffee. Listen, I've learned so much. I even learned, like, even at the Men's Shed, the initiative that uh, uh, my dad is actually one of the co-founders of the one here in Dungarvan, which is really successful. And, um, and so many, some of those men that join are literally going up there because Just of for a the cup tea, of tea, yeah. A cup, a cup of tea and a chat and I... I tell you, that's where an awful lot and you'd be amazed how many men's lives are held even by that as well. So, yeah, the cup of tea and the chat at the end of the session is fantastic. Now, here's <laughs> probably the most important question I'll ask you is who makes the tea? Oh, gosh. Well, I tell you one thing. It's not me anyway. They'd be given out to me. I'd be given them decaf. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be able I wouldn't be able to handle the pressure of uh, 20 to 40 <laughs> Irish people yeah. in their mid forties judging my yeah. cup of tea. Oh, listen, you'd be surprised, but no, it's like it's just been fantastic. And I mean, I suppose I'm getting more and more and more passionate about this every single day when I do see more things. Like I, I had one participant who had esophageal cancer, and um, you know, after one week, the reflux was gone. One week, and I. If I was to be a guest in person, I'd imagine what was aggravating the um, the reflux was because she was so sedentary and not physically active. So by being up and moving a lot um, more, it was helping. So after one week, the reflux had actually improved. Um, another participant had reduced down to a quarter of a sleeping tablet. Um, you know, uh, one person who, who started and was actually on morphine patches for pain and mobility and everything was so bad, but no longer on morphine patches, mobility, fantastic, returned to work. So, OK, like we, we take these things for granted. They might not be they might not think that they're major, but to these individuals, they are huge. There's a lot we take for granted in, in our day to day activity that when they're taken away, only then you see how much you uh, you, you really need and value those. No, I suppose the other thing I suppose that we need to, we need to realize as well is that when I was looking at the barriers and facilitators to exercise, fatigue is actually the biggest barrier to exercise. So that is, that in itself is stopping people from. So what happens is is that they then take start to take control because they don't have the information or anything. So they themselves become more um, rested. They become more sedentary. And then what we're seeing then is that they become deconditioned, you know, and, and we know we know that exercise is, is kind of helps with all of those deconditioning components. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, it, it's such a vicious cycle in, in that the fatigue leads to inactivity, which kind of compounds fatigue. And it, yeah. it's so counterintuitive to hear your feet on tired or your low in energy exercise will, will benefit that. And I think it takes those few sessions of doing that to go, yeah, you know what, there's something here. And I, I just so you know, just it's a question that might you might be asked is when do we see the differences? Um, you know, so I actually measured fatigue um, every four weeks. So we did it at baseline week four, week eight, week 12 or sorry, week four, week eight, week uh, 10 or so post and then at six month follow up again. Um, and I noticed the change. So and again, this is where you have to like if you want a person to stick with a program, you know how many even people who haven't cancer, but most people who are join an exercise program, if they don't start seeing benefits, they fall off the bandwagon and it's and it's gone and they're gone into relapse. So I really had to prepare these people as well for the fact that, look, guys, please stick at it. Please put in, you know, put in the, 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 the little bit of exercise during the week because we probably won't really see any changes until about week four. And that's when we did see them. And it seems to have been something we saw across the board as well. From week four on, it began to improve and improve and improve and improve. So you really had to put, you know, strategies in place there as well. 
and as well as that prepare them for relapse prepare them for for for, for, for things going wrong as well you know you're not going to see these tremendous improvements and you say as hard as it is to stick with a program where you're seeing slow improvements try and see nothing and i think you kind of highlight the power there of not necessarily getting them to to hang on but redirecting their attention to what improvements they might see you know you're not going to see dramatic improvements in body composition or maybe strength within a few weeks but you will see you know that day-to-day you know growing up the stairs isn't as hard as it used to be or I do feel better during the day and by shifting that mindset then that may help with adherence too okay so aside from uh, aside from MedX which is a wonderful program and, and we'll talk at the end about how people can get in touch with you for that could you kind of give an overview you know what the state of cancer rehab is in Ireland and you know what if any services exist and, and all that type of, of stuff yeah, um, like there is another program as well, the Strides for Life. That 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 is another program that's out there as well. And I actually attended a really good uh, workshop in December with the Irish Cancer Society, um, looking specifically at cancer-related fatigue, which is really promising because there was a group of about, I'd say, about fifteen of us who are concentrating specifically on on cancer-related fatigue and and what is hoped is that we would actually form like a a collaboration together um, that we would actually try and help um, people, you know, and and develop such programs and, you know, that we will be able to steer people in in the right direction as well so that, you know, if there is a group of people who are, you know, working on something that they too are passionate about, I think it increases the power as well. So the Irish Cancer Society, which I was delighted with invited me up there in December and we sat down with other um with other specialists in that in that field as well along with um Noel McCaffrey in DCU as well who, who who also has that program up and running and I suppose they I suppose again with with my study when I started out first and I think this it's important to get across as well well the medics group just so people know it's not just for fatigued individuals the medics program is open to cancer survivors across the board um, uh, so when I started off first, my study initially was breast only. <clears throat> then I opened it up to prostate and colorectal. And then I began to say to myself, well, now, Tricia, if cancer doesn't uh, discriminate, how are you going to discriminate against who is going to be exercising? So I did more and more research. And I and I mean, the, the exercise prescription is the same for all cancer survivors. So it is the same as well. People might not know that as the general population. So trying to get your 150 minutes of moderate visit, or moderate intensity exercise um, per week. Um, so I started to say to myself, well, why can't I include more cancers? So I have, and in the study to date, we have a mixture of cancers involved in the study. So the MedEx program here in the Southeast, <coughs> excuse me, is open to mixed cancers. So it, it seems like it's, it's somewhat of a budding field in that the, the main services or outlets for cancer patients and survivors are the universities that are conducting these research studies whereas there's there's much less uh, I suppose public service public services where where you know you go to your physician and they will help direct you you know if if I'm a cancer patient I'm just after sitting out with my oncologist there's nothing that they can say we have this program unless it's affiliated with a university yes I think um, and we've been very lucky now in um, I'm collaborating with the University Hospital in Waterford. So the oncology team there have been very supportive and I am also part of the biomedical research group in WIT um, and with um, Professor Hill as well in Beaumont University. So they have been very supportive of me and my study to date. So they, you know, and, and, and you know, have been, you know, uh, very good as well when it comes to recruiting participants as well for the study. I'm very fortunate at Ohio State to have oncologists who are really progressive and have completely bought in on the idea of of exercise oncology and regularly um, kind of refer their patients to our studies. But I've also been in areas where that's not the case. And some of the 
more rural areas I've been in the States, there is still a lot of resistance from oncologists and physicians on the power of exercise, particularly during treatment. Uh, how what does that landscape look in Ireland? Is there a lot of physician buy-in? Do you face any resistance? And if so, what what do you face? They've certainly been very um, very um, supportive and collaboration. But at the end of the day, you can imagine we've seen not only the increase. In, in diagnosis, we've seen an increase in survivorship. So we've seen a huge increase in the number of people who are attending review clinics also. So if you can imagine, they do only have that maybe 10 minutes with their oncologist. So is there time to be telling them about Patricia Sheehan in, in the MedEx program um, and referring them that way? Um, so I still think there is certainly room for more collaboration to be done there where they can re- refer um, patients, you know, in, in in a correct manner and and even have an exercise oncologist like you said or exercise physicians on site where they can be referred to from there um and and, you know i think we're going to probably be able to answer that question better in the translational study that we're going to be doing shortly um i'll certainly have more answers to that um so you can interview me again on that in a later (laughs) date (laughs) shameless plug get me back on the show in a few months i'll definitely be able to answer a lot more um, and, and like that are we reaching more participants are we reaching the, 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 uh, the people at a population base because that's what we want to do now I don't want it just to be uh, a, a research study that doesn't reach the general population I want this to be set up I want it to be now translated into a real world setting but I want it to reach the, 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 the cohort we need to reach but again that is down to you know not only how it is you know, um, how it is marketed and, and put out there, but also it's down to, because as you can imagine as well, um, I, I, I would feel that patients themselves would feel safer being referred to by their oncologist or their GP as well, because if, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, they're probably going to be happier being referred to something like this from their, from their specialist or their healthcare professional, you know? Yeah. So, every every researcher I talk to in this area is really passionate about what they do, does not need to be convinced that exercise can be a powerful tool during or after treatment. And almost all of us have some sort of vision of, of what the ideal exercise oncology or cancer rehab you know field would look like. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and I have just decided that you are now the lead Cardia, our cancer rehabilitation director of Ireland, how would you like to see the structure shift or what needs to happen to establish exercise oncology as a standard of care in Ireland? Um, I think it's probably going to come down to, you know, uh, the influence of policy and the influence of, you know, having these... uh, um, having it instilled in like an actual exercise referral system at a national level um, and having 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 programs such as ours, uh, um, you know, instilled on the na- on a national exercise referral, referral scheme. Um, so, again, you know, will it happen? I don't know. Um, do I want it to happen? Yes. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think from the research and if more and more people start to... And, and we will start publishing these these results shortly. Um, you know, I think that, you know, and we need to get into, it's not just the likes of, say, the university. We need to get into um, other oncology outlets and, you know, in the southeast as well, other hospitals. Um, and we will do that. We will we will be sending. I mean, all all of those people will be invited, and they will be sent information on on the service that we provide here in Waterford Institute of technology yeah i think it it's kind of as you mentioned for me it's a case or a matter of of when and not if it yeah. it becomes a standard of care but the the point yeah. I, I was kind of alluding to was this idea that you know we had this symposium at acsm just gone in in uh, denver a few weeks ago yes, and the conversation <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have to say i you know, as, as as kind of tough as it is, you know, living away from home and, and, you know, doing my studies over here in the States, 
the opportunities I've had have been unparalleled in terms of just even exposure to ACSM where I've, that's been my ninth year or eighth year of going and the, the people you meet and you talk about just world export experts that you look up to when you read their work and then you get to meet them and talk to them and and share your research and passion it's it's unbelievable um you know i i was pinching myself but i i submitted for the symposium and i asked uh dr katie schmidt to serve on it and you know she's done incredible work in the field of breast cancer and then she was during the year she was um voted in as president of the acsm so i'm i'm standing there as a phd student you know on a panel with with katie schmitz and i've I've, very rarely do i feel out of place but it certainly was kind of standing on the shoulders of giants moment for me i usually feel like that as well so don't 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 feel bad (laughs) and yeah so the the discussion and and katie schmitz brought the point up of of where do we need to focus our interests and you know we as as physiologists are kind of going you know physical outcomes psychosocial outcomes and it's almost like we have different branches of research and and with the overall goal of establishing exercise oncology as a standard of care there does need to be a strong component to have cost effectiveness of programs that have policy changes implemented to them in in speaking the language of of really the movers and shakers of the country in terms of getting this established you know insurance providers can see some value in improvements of physical function and cancer-related fatigue, but they are more prone to seeing value in how much does this program cost, how much does it drop future costs of healthcare. Um, and I think that's one area that I think we'll see a lot more traction in over the coming years in really trying to drive this field forward. I think what, what, what we need to realise as well, though, by improving people, it's not just fatigue we're improving here. We are improving their, um, you know, comorbid, comorbidities that they've been left with as well. So we are in turn not just improving quality of life, but we we are improving um, the cardiovascular system, you know, all those um, decrease in inflammation, all of those things as well. So we're probably going to by having programs like this cutting down in people presenting themselves at A&E as well, you know, so cutting down on the usage of beds as well and I think that we probably need to work in a really upstream manner and focus on preventing these things from happening rather than treating them when they do happen you know and and, and we, we have all the time in Ireland where, where we're given out about the shortage of beds and all of that sort of, of thing so why not be proactive and prevent these things from becoming a problem in the first place and I think that's why I, I have become so passionate as well about this is prevention you know prevent preventing these things from happening rather than focus on treating and almost like a prehabilitation okay they've been left um, with cancer related fatigue uh, post cancer but let's focus now on working on prehabilitation from preventing other things from happening yeah you're you're preaching to the choir and i think uh, that's it we've kind of solved all the problems we have people convinced and uh, we're ready to rock um so <laughs> i so i actually i just i really want to make sure that i i i acknowledge and thank uh, my supervisors, Dr. Michael Harrison and Dr. Suzanne Denise, um, and all of my colleagues and my my fellow researchers at Waterford Institute of Technology, because they have been so supportive to me throughout the whole process. It's been super. They really, really are great. I'll piggyback that, piggyback off of that, and uh, thank <laughs> Fionn McSwiney for introducing the two of us. Yeah, um, one absolutely. of the the most gentle giants in in the world of exercise physiology. Absolutely. Okay, so <laughs> and uh, shameless plug opportunity. Where where can people find you? Where can they find out about the MedX program? Anywhere, any social media outlets you'd like people to be directed to, whatever whatever you want, yeah. here's your yeah. kind of outlet. I I suppose I guess I better give my email address. So that is patricia.sheehan at postgrad.wish.ie. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter. I'm actually Fern Tree on that, F-E-R-N-T-R-I um, on Twitter. And I kind of keep, I, I, I post a lot on that and keep up to date as well with research on that. Um, I have a Facebook page. It's Patricia Ferncombe's Health and Fitness. And again, if you have any inquiries about anything, never, never, never hesitate to contact me uh, privately 
message me, whatever. There's there's no problem whatsoever. I, I, I'm said to be the quickest replier ever when it comes to messages. I don't know, but that, that's what they say to me anyhow. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad thing, and I don't have my computer out of my hand at any stage. But um, yeah, no, um, there, there's never a problem with anyone. Uh, the Medex program then is at the Wit Arena, um, and they have their own uh, Facebook page. They have their own. Um, Twitter account as well, um, or if you if you contact the Waterford Institute of Technology, the Witterina there, there'll be no problem. There'll be people um, there to help you as well. And they have a dedicated Medex team, and here in WIT there is a dedicated steering committee as well for the Medex program. So there's plenty of people that you can that, that can answer any questions anybody may have. Excellent, and I'll, I'll put all those links and and all that stuff in the show notes as well. Um, so listen, thanks, Tricia. This has been, you know, an incredibly insightful conversation with me. I appreciate you chatting and uh, uh, thanks a lot for, for sharing your knowledge. Oh, fantastic. No, it's brilliant. And it's absolutely delightful to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for contacting me. 